Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Safe for Brave podcast. In today's episode, I'll be chatting to David Siegel, the founder and CEO of GlideApps. GlideApps is actually a really nice tool that helps you to create a simple mobile application in no time, just from a spreadsheet. David also has a lot of experience from being the head of design at Xamarin, as well as Microsoft. And he has decided to leave Microsoft and start his own venture because it was in him the whole time and he was just gaining the experience and the necessary contacts. And now, now it's the time. Now it's the time to really make it. And he's gone through Y Combinator and he's building his company in Silicon Valley. So let's get to the chat with David. Let's do David, it. <laughs> welcome to the Safe for Brave podcast. Lubo, it's great uh, to see you. Yeah, it's it's great catching up. Yeah. Uh, we have had a chance to work together multiple times, mm. actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, started uh, while you were at Microsoft. That's right. And it's been, a, it's been an uh, interesting journey yeah. to see you uh, progress and try new things. Yeah. And, and I uh, followed your journey on Instagram stories, watching you become a spokesman for Barry's Bootcamp, <laughs> Peloton... I'm surprised you're still doing all this digital stuff. Oh, I, I love it. I love it. And this, this for me, is a great way how I can catch up with uh, old friends and uh, yes. learn something new and also share it with others. I love so it. I'm going to have to copy uh, you. <laughs> that's uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to start the podcast. So while we catch up, we Fantastic. can also uh, share something with the community. I think I've... Uh, I've thought about starting a podcast many times, and you are a man of action. You actually did it, so that's, that's incredible. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll see. Uh, after after I do 100 episodes, then we can... All right, uh, then you can evaluate. Yeah, then that's we, a great th- goal. Then, then uh, I would say that, uh, okay, it's mm-hmm. been it's been accomplished. But, Amazing. Uh, it's, uh, it's good to start, and uh, definitely would suggest that uh, you can try it out as well. Yeah, I love it. Uh, but uh, it's, it's great to have you and be able to, to chat with you and... Uh, uh, I would probably start all the way back, uh, not all the way back, but uh, uh, to date uh, when I actually got to know you and sure. that's where you were in position of uh, head of design at Microsoft, mm. right? Well, I was head of design of developer services. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but not all of Microsoft. Microsoft is uh, a gi- giant company. I, I understand, but, yeah. but head of design of the developer, <laughs> developer services. services. Right? Yeah, that's and the, right. the way how, how you got there was through an acquisition yes. of Xamarin, right? Yeah, so I was head of design at a company called Xamarin, whose products were mobile development tools for enterprise software developers. And Microsoft acquired that company, and I was put in charge of a bunch of uh, the developer services at Microsoft to try to rejuvenate them and uh, integrate them with each other, and also integrate a bunch of the tools that had been acquired from Xamarin. So. Xamarin had a really interesting tool called Test Cloud, where if you were a mobile developer, you could upload your app and we would run it on like 4,000 Android devices at the same time and screenshot every interaction to help you find design errors and other bugs. I thought that was amazing. So one of my well, my job at Microsoft was to integrate that with other amazing products and services that Microsoft had to offer. And uh, we a new project came up within Microsoft. We wanted to do real-time collaborative code editing for Visual Studio Code and Visual Studio. Uh, so like Google Docs but or Figma, but within uh, a code editor. And we our design team was pretty saturated at the time, so we looked for a partner to help us uh, pull off some of those initial designs. And I, that's how I came yeah. to your firm. That's how you uh, did uh, research on uh, Dribbble? Yes, and uh, found our portfolio. Yeah, if I, I, I think I right? called about fifteen firms, 
Wow. And, uh, and then I had a personal connection to David. Yeah. And he, you know, he was in the office the next day after I contacted him. And um, yeah, it was perfect fit. Yeah, it was, it was uh, indeed a great collaboration. Mm. Uh, during uh, your time at, at Microsoft. What, uh, what's happening with uh, Xamarin today? What's happening with Xamarin? Well, definitely their services, on the services side, uh, so they have this crash reporting tool and uh, testing tool. Those were the, the, the projects I, I kept working on after the acquisition. Those are, have been integrated into uh, the Azure suite Uh, with other Azure branded developer services. On the Xamarin side, as far as mobile app development is concerned, I didn't keep up with that too much because that went uh, under a different organization at Microsoft. Um, but I know uh, a lot of that technology is, is still in use today. Got it, got it. And uh, I like prior to uh, joining Xamarin, right. what was, what was uh, your sort of uh, working experience uh, yeah. before? So I studied computer science in university, and I got really into open source. Okay. Um, so the the computer labs at school ran Linux, and I loved how DIY it all was. It just seemed like sort of half defined the experience, and you could like build your own GUI and sort of totally customize and pimp out your own computer. And uh, I thought that was really interesting. So I got really deep into it. Um, and I started participating in the Ubuntu community and making so, making applications for Linux. And my senior thesis in computer science was sort of like uh, Quicksilver on the Mac. Uh, Quicksilver was a find-as-you-type universal search app that was amazing on Mac, kind of before Spotlight really came into its own nowadays on a Mac uh, or on Windows. If you press Command or Command Space, you get this search interface, which can search your contacts yep. and your bookmarks and your files. Right. Um, so Quicksilver was the only game in town back then that did this on a Mac. And I, whenever I would, I was dual booting Mac and Linux. When I was in Linux, I didn't have the same thing. So for my computer science project, I basically implemented Quicksilver as an open source project on Linux. Uh-huh. And it was super fun. Uh, it became one of the largest open source projects in the world at that time by number of contributors. I think we had wow. like 60 active contributors at one point. So uh, what started as just a, a pet programming project became a uh, open source collaboration. I got a really fast education in sort of open source project management. How do you incentivize people to collaborate with you? How do you structure your code base so people can contribute? How do you enforce style guidelines? Um, uh, it, was, it was just a really, really fun project. And from that, I got recruited onto the design team at Canonical to work on Ubuntu. So I was one of the lead designers for Ubuntu itself. I moved to London to work on that project. Um, that lasted about a couple of years. Um, and I left London, came back to the U.S., and started some of my own personal projects. So I created a company called Future Proof. I wanted to create a technology brand that would appeal to the the organic movement. I wanted to like invent organic software. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, there's this huge market, uh, worldwide market, especially in the United States, of people spending money on yoga and organic food. That's right. What is the software or technology company that's going to appeal to these people? I wanted to build it. But I was too naive. I didn't have much of a plan. I created some software, um, and I, I did some writing about it. I thought it was a really fascinating concept at the time. It, back in 2010, this was kind of a weird idea. You would, I would try to explain it to people, and they would say, oh, so you're saying I need to throw my smartphone in the trash? 
I said, no, I just think there's a point of better balance. And if we create software with our, our deeper values in mind, we might get a better result. And now every major software provider has, you know, meditation timer on their phone or something to give you feedback how much about how much time and which applications you use and put controls on those that's things. Right. So those are ideas are all mainstream now. So I think that's fantastic. Um, anyway, so that, that didn't go anywhere as a company, although it was deeply rewarding to think about. <laughs> um, and then I decided just to move to San Francisco uh, to start the next chapter of my career. I was either going to start a company or, or join a startup. And I, I didn't have much more of a plan than that. And my parents were really nervous. They said, this is an expensive city you're about to go to. And you don't have a job lined up. And then while I was having this conversation with my parents, I was washing dishes and my phone <laughs> vibrated in my pocket and I pulled it out and it was the CEO of this company, Xamarin, saying... There was the job offer? Yeah, he said, hey, David, um, my co-founder, Miguel, said he worked with you in open source and you're a, a great technical designer. We really could use some help uh, redesigning our developer tools and I'd love to talk to you about contracting. I said, this is fate. I'm in, drove That's to San Francisco. That was amazing. Joined their company, yeah. Well, that was like right the moment that that you wanted to move. That oh was, yeah, that was yeah. that was an offer. No. And what what's really interesting for me is the intersection of uh, engineering and design, right? Because I feel like uh, yes. you are right in the middle. So my what I actually studied in school was philosophy and computer science. So I have two degrees, and the my career has always been me attempting to kind of hybridize my background in both of those fields. Um, so in philosophy, you study how people think um, and some deeper questions of, the, some of the deepest questions that are interesting to people, questions about value um, and about ethics, about personal identity. Um, and more and more as technology becomes more fine-grained, sophisticated, and integrated into every aspect of our life, uh, it's rubbing against these questions more and more. Um, so questions that once seemed far-fetched to ask now are becoming legitimate to reason about, you know, I remember this is kind of a strange example. I, I, I should probably think of a better one, but, um, years ago on the daily show, there was a researcher who came on to talk about his book about the future of love and robots. And he said, you know, I think that someday humans might fall in love with robots and this could be a huge challenge for society and it's worth thinking about. And he was kind of like the laughing stock yeah. of the show. They, they're like, well, this nerd wants to date a robot. And now we have shows like well, Westworld, a, a, which actually are is becoming real. It's becoming right? real. And I think all, all of these questions will arise. So anyway, sorry, that was kind of roundabout, but um, yeah, I think my, my interest in philosophy and, um, the things that are most important to people kind of mutated into, you would call it design when you're thinking about these questions in the context of the technology products. But it's pretty much connecting, right? The, the technological aspect of things with uh, the visual, with the visual elements and with the way how people interact. Yeah. Less, uh, less visual with, and more human centric is a, is I think a term that a lot of designers use. Yeah. So if you, if all of your reasoning about, technology and the choices you make and the products you design always refers back to the person at the center, which is kind of my instinct. Mm -hmm. um, we call that design usually. Yeah, got it. Got it. That uh, makes makes total yeah. sense. And it, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And uh, I actually recalled uh, one uh, really uh, interesting thing that you uh, showed me back in the days. Uh, and it was your effort to recruit uh, 
uh, and you did some special. Yes. Uh, uh, was uh, something on GitHub? The GitHub stunt. Yeah, uh, that was incredible. I think that's that's that, that just yeah. popped in my mind. Do you want me to explain it? it? Yeah, yeah, it was incredible. So um, we were trying to recruit designers to Microsoft. And I thought that Microsoft had a bit of a reputation problem with designers. Um, if you're a, an aspiring designer and you want to develop your career and you think about all the great companies to join out there, Microsoft two or three years ago was not going to pop into your mind, honestly. Um, I think that it's a great company to join as a designer, but I think people just didn't know this yet. You might think Apple or Adobe, or Google, or yep. Uber, or Facebook, etc. Um, so we were having a, a little bit of a hard time at the top of our funnel in our recruitment pipeline. So um, I said, I need to do something to disrupt the way people think about what it's like to work as, at Microsoft as a designer, especially as a designer in our developer division, which is an even more rare type of designer, yep. a designer who is going to open VS Code and make a website and deploy it and to understand that whole process. So I just, I think I spent about an hour one afternoon in the office by myself and I made this simple uh, page on GitHub. Um, and it just said, it was very stark and you know intense looking black background, white text. And it said something like, um, Microsoft is looking for designers who code to help us build the greatest software tools on the planet. It's this sort of impressive, impactful statement. And then I took a risk and I said, we use Figma, GitHub, Max, JavaScript, Sketch. Yeah, all the, all the tools. All the tools uh, you're actually and, using. And, yeah. That reminds me, the, the concern was, I'm a designer, I love my Mac, why would I go to Microsoft? They're going to take it away and give me some dorky PC and I'm going to be uninspired. But that's not the type of company Microsoft is, at least in my experience. Um, it's changed so much. And we, use, we used every tool to our advantage to create a great product for Microsoft customers. So I wanted to sort of get that out mm -hmm. and, and get that message out. And at the end, I said, uh, if you're interested in uh, this job, just send a pull request against this message, this website that improves it in any way. And it just went viral. It got on Hacker News. We got hundreds of pull requests, people adding animations, and there was a hidden Simon Says game inside the Microsoft logo where you would have to like click on it, and it would kept advancing. And if you won, it would turn into like an old-style interface, and it went blue. And it was just people went wild, and it was very creative. And um, we ended up, I think, hiring a couple people at least from that. And I, I've even worked with some of the contractors I met through that experiment. Isn't that super interesting when you inspire and impress the community yeah how it picks up and suddenly you have so big traction yeah. that other companies would uh, will kill for and we had the exact response that we could have hoped for which is people said wow microsoft spoke directly to me with this message this was very candid and it's not the company i thought it was And that Microsoft just needs to. They're doing that. They've been proving that they're a different type of company and rising in everyone's uh, estimation. Um, so that was, I think, the, the CEO of the site retweeted it. And he said, this is extremely impressive. And uh, a bunch of my peers at Microsoft who saw it before it kind of got traction. And they were like, oh, that's, you know, David, you didn't get authorized by anyone to do this. You just took a risk. We'll see how it goes. And it uh, luckily, it, it turned out to be a good You stunt. took a risk and it paid off. Yeah. That's, that's that's amazing. Yeah, and uh, but yeah. I knew I was about to leave Microsoft and do my own company, so I, I thought, uh, you know, worst case, I, I just get started on that earlier. Let's take, let's take, let's make a bet. Yeah.
but uh, definitely definitely inspiring how do you how do you uh, source for this kind of an idea it just popped right in your mind just sounded fun it, it sounds real fun yeah and uh, it just sounded like a fun fun project fun experiment that's great uh, how do you think Microsoft changed uh, changed over uh, the past couple of years I, I don't have a great perspective on this because I joined when Microsoft had already changed so much um, and I remember... Uh, well, maybe the people on the outside did not know about it. I, I was a person on the outside for most of the change Microsoft went through. But um, uh, one thing they did is they acquired a lot of startups and they put the leaders of those startups in unusually high positions of authority at Microsoft and charged them to make changes. Um, and they said that to when, when they acquired our small startup, a small compared to Microsoft, they said, you know, we, we want to, we want to modernize. We want to be more creative, help us like become leaders here and make changes. And they just empower everyone. Um, and they just did a great job of ensuring that creative, fresher ideas uh, come up to the top and, and, and get, get executed. Was it, uh, always your sort of, um, uh goal to start your own company and running your own business yes and this I, uh, and like uh, this was kind of a yeah uh, sidetrack well it uh, wasn't a sidetrack it was it was all kind of instrumental to what i ultimately wanted to do i think i've always wanted to create a technology company i decided i remember the moment i decided it um i was riding when, with when my was dad uh, i was riding with my dad in the car and it was like 1998 um so i was 12 And there was a billboard for the new iMac, this blue translucent computer that didn't look like any other computer. And my dad said, oh, we're going to get that computer for grandma and she's going to email us. And my little 12-year-old brain exploded. I was like, grandma is going to use the internet? He said, yeah, because I mean, computers was like this thing my dad and I did. Like he had a computer, I would play on it. I thought it was this con kind of confusing and technical thing. And when he, when my dad said that my grandma was going to use the internet, it was the most interesting idea I'd heard in my whole life. And I just said, that's what I'm going to do with my career. I'm going to do this kind of thing that makes my, that makes grandmas use the internet. It just was wild. And, um, yeah, so I always wanted to, I still have not like named the quality that was the juxtaposition of that insight, but it just was so fascinating to me. It captured my imagination in a way I'd never experienced before, and I wanted to work on it. So I've always wanted to start a tech company, and um, yeah. But like joining Xamarin and getting the, like then transitioning over to Microsoft was uh part of it to get some experience from yes. the tech world. So is, I, I is remember how you, when I was, uh, when I was in university, um, when I was in university, I, I mean, I studied philosophy even as a means to the end of starting a company because philosophy teaches you to be, to communicate very clearly and to argue and to present your ideas. And I thought, well, that seems useful to being a leader of a company. Of course. Um, and I saw at the time, um, these, really young kids dropping out of college and starting tech companies and kind of learning on the job. And I just decided I want to get some experience under my belt before I go start a company because I think I'll, I'll be more likely to succeed if I spend some time in industry learning when, you know, 
one thing at a time, for example. So learning to be an engineer, learning to be a designer, learning to run a design team, learning to be an executive, learning to be a leader, learning to manage. Um, so yeah, I accumulated those lessons over time and then uh, I'd maybe waited a year or two too long, but I mean, I learned a lot of very valuable lessons at Microsoft, uh, but then I just felt ripe <laughs> at some point at Microsoft and I said, okay, um, it, I even remember Satya said something um, really impressive in a meeting. He said something along the lines of, you know, I want everyone here at this company to look back at your time at Microsoft and feel like you really became a great leader and it empowered you to do the things that you really care about in your life, whether that's to start a nonprofit or to create your own company or to go do something else in the world. And I was like, great, well, that's how I feel now. I'm going to take his advice. Um, I feel it's extremely important, especially like from a CEO of a big corporation that the goal is not to keep everybody around forever, yes. right? Because people have... Uh, uh, different different goals, different right. uh, feelings, and of what uh, they want to do, and so on. And what I think is is great is when you actually have the freedom, right? And as long as the relationship is working out, yeah, then you stick around, yeah. And if you see that there is something that would fulfill you way more. Mm -hmm. Or you feel really excited about that, you want to give it a shot. Yeah, uh, you just go for it. And uh, I think there was this old style of management that's very cliche now, where you wanted to basically create a company that was also a religion, and your employees would worship it and sort of be stuck there and brainwash them. But now you want your employees to be autonomous and to start their own startups within your company and to empower them as much as possible. So I think that's a great shift uh, in the way we think about what a company is. And its relationship to its employees. And even for me, when I see that uh, people leave our company and they go, they start their own startups and businesses, or they just uh, join other companies for different roles that would not be possible with an STRV, uh, for me, it's it's great. It's like, uh, it, it feels uh, like a graduation from yeah. a university rather than uh, yes. abandoning uh, uh, something. That I sent an email to all of my colleagues when I was leaving Microsoft and I said, I'm graduating from Microsoft. And I feel like yeah. as long as it's giving you the value that uh, it, it, that, that it, it can, mm. then that's great. If yeah. it doesn't, then like it doesn't make any sense mm -hmm. to, to stick around. And, Uh, as exactly as you said, like that's uh, that's the new uh, style of management. Yeah. I feel like, and uh, it's it's great that even like uh, the leaders on the on the very top are uh, mm -hmm. incorporating that into their style of and management. I think the, the dream is you you make a great impression on someone who works with you, and they leave, and they do something amazing, and they gain experience and perspective, and maybe they come back again. And exactly, a they much come back. They, they partner up with you, or yeah. like it's it's not ending the relationship That's forever, right? right? Yeah. Uh, the people that you have worked with, they may come back to you later on. Uh, in uh, in the journey and actually help you with uh, some problem that you mm -hmm. might be having or uh, or do whatever. So I think that it's good to keep the relationship and uh, relationships and rather focus on uh, uh, where are you happy, yeah. uh, what's bringing you the value, what uh, what makes you what makes you to be excited 
uh, about every single day that you have, right? As long as uh, this is there and sticking around. If it's not, then uh, you should uh, consider doing something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know what the uh, the theme of this podcast is, yes. right? It's kind of the uh, comparing the the safe or brave decisions that you can do in in your life while you are building a business or on your personal side as well. And we are just at an interesting uh, point of our discussion. Uh, because we have talked a lot about uh, Microsoft and we are pretty much at uh, the end of uh, your journey there. And uh, I would like to understand what uh, were your feelings to actually make that decision. Mm. Uh, Because I feel for you, uh, staying in that position uh, and continuing in in, in the role uh, would be a really safe nice uh, spot yeah. uh, to stick around uh, though you have decided to do something totally different uh, and I'd like to understand what, what were the, the feelings sure. how much you have actually evaluated yeah. the decision so I realize I've done a terrible job as a CEO on this podcast because I don't think I've <laughs> mentioned my company at all but just to, to frame this explanation um, I've started a company called Glide Uh, And Glide lets anyone create software from spreadsheets. So you pick a Google Sheet and you can make an app out of it. And you don't have to know how to program and you don't even have to be a spreadsheet wizard. It will take any spreadsheet, even if it's just, you know, a list of your Beanie Baby collection. You can turn that into a real useful app (laughs) as a bit of a dated reference. Okay. Um, And uh, yeah, so I, I left Microsoft, I guess, about a year ago. Um, to do this company, and we'll we'll definitely talk more sure, about sure. Glide just, and uh, yeah, uh, I, because I would like to understand definitely. more in detail uh, what's happening in Glide. Yeah. But uh, now coming back to the, sure. the transition and so, your thinking about making that big decision, I felt um, to flip the the expectation or this paradigm a little bit. I felt like staying at staying at Microsoft was the risk, and I thought that doing the startup was the safe thing to do actually. Oh really? Yes. I knew every day I was thinking about um, how narrow I felt my role was becoming at this large company where everyone can specialize, specialize so much. So at Microsoft, I was this design leader, leading design teams. Of the dev division. Yes. Talking to PMs and engineers about why we should do design and why it's worthwhile. And I believe all that's true, but I'm an engineer. Uh, my, my background is engineering. So um, one thing I've always been a bit disappointed uh, about is this, when your title is designer, it, it kind of excludes you from engineering conversations a lot of the time, sort of by default, because um, everyone just gets specialized. And I, I really missed participating in engineering more. I was also separated a lot from the marketing side of things at Microsoft. At Xamarin, I, my, I was responsible for the marketing side of design, so conferences, website, swag, as well as product. It was like really integrated and super fun, diverse, um, even though I sure complained about it a lot. Uh, but at Microsoft, it was very narrowly specialized on product design. And then someone else would figure out how we communicate about these products. And I didn't like not having control over those aspects because it didn't let me really express the end-to-end story I wanted to tell. And I think great products have an integrated story um, from the product 
itself to the brand, to the website, to how you communicate it at commercials or conferences, et cetera. You need a lot of coordination there to really create something spectacular. Um, so I felt the risk was that I was going to keep not doing that. And I was going to be really disappointed in myself and not create a really great product that end to end great product. Um, and I also felt like I was because of, I, because I was so hyper-specialized, I felt those skills that I really wanted to exercise just were atrophying. I wasn't communicating in the way I wanted and I wasn't, uh, I wasn't involved with engineering as much as I wanted to be. But I mean, I was, it was a very collaborative team. So my, my peers running the engineering, we had FaceTime all the time. We had a lot of mutual respect. So I, I wasn't completely locked out of that, but I really just want, I felt like I want to get my hands dirty yeah. and, um, uh, just get fully engaged with creating something new. So and you wanted, you wanted to do more of the stuff. Right? I wanted to do, I wanted to do more. Very, I wanted to grow. Yeah. I didn't feel like I was growing enough. And, um, I sort of looked at my career trajectory there. I was like, okay, if I execute really well, maybe I could become head of design of all of Microsoft. And then I would have accomplished something kind of impressive and interesting, but not at all what I ever set out to do. So how would I feel about that? Would I even be proud of what I've accomplished if I did it by accident? I don't think so. I think I'd be upset with myself. So that seemed like my risk. Um, and the safe thing seemed to be to select the most talented people I've ever worked with that I've been working with for, you know, some of them over 10 years and uh, go do a company. It was a great time to start a company. Was that the group that uh, you worked uh, at Zamarin with also? Yes. So I, I started Glide. There are four of us, four co-founders. And um, one of them, Jason, he and I met uh, on IRC doing open source in college. And we did so many projects and companies together. And then Mark and Antonio, my other co-founders, we met at Xamarin. And we worked at Xamarin together and we worked at Microsoft. And then Mark and I worked on an extracurricular open source project together while we were at Microsoft. And that, I think, was the, the kind of the straw that broke the camel's back because we were so engaged and having so much fun with this open source project. And we said, we need to do more of this. We need to do more of designing a new idea, getting out into the world, being responsible for it. So did you all decide to quit Microsoft at the same time and start the company right away or it was kind of a process it, it was that... a bit of a cascade uh -huh. so um i mean my my job at microsoft was becoming very rewarding it was uh -huh. it was changing all the time and i was getting more responsibility and uh so in a sense it was it was hard for me to leave because it was getting more interesting so i worked on the github acquisition for example that was fascinating i thought i thought that would be my final thing at microsoft um and it was just really interesting to work on um and but mark mark was ready to leave right away he needed to do something new he wasn't happy with what he was working on there and so he quit and i followed him after about a month and then our other co-founders sort of a month apiece followed us and we talked to them after we left we said you know we should work so together. it was not it was not the plan that the four of you would agree no. on prior actually quitting this is what we want to no, do no uh, mark, mark and i decided to go and then the others sort of asked us you know what are you guys up to we're we're a little bit bored we want new challenges and i said you know well, we're doing a company we'd be happy to have you so how did the the idea of glide and building apps yeah. from spreadsheets uh come along 
So it goes back really far. So the our origin story when we do like the X Men style movie, <laughs> you can imagine a, an austere auditorium where Simon Peyton Jones is presenting about functional programming. So Simon Peyton Jones is one of my favorite computer scientists, and he works at Microsoft Research, and he's one of the co-creators of the Haskell programming language. And he was giving a talk on functional programming. I actually don't know the specific topic. I bet that's what he talks about, so I'm assuming. <laughs> uh, and Mark attended it, Mark, my co-founder. And uh, he made this offhand joke about Microsoft Excel being the world's most popular functional programming language. And Mark and Simon talked about this, and Mark has been thinking about this for years. Because um, Mark is an extremely experienced software developer. He, Mark is the kind of software developer that writes the low-level compilers and runtimes that other software developers build their systems upon. So he's just, you know, he's in the basement doing the hardest work. And yeah, he's just been fascinated for years about, you know, why are spreadsheets so successful? Someone tweeted this graph um, making an argument about why no-code tools are important. And it was like the world's 10 most popular programming languages by a uh, number of users on a bar chart. And there was Excel. And Excel is at like 99.9%. <laughs> and then the next one's JavaScript, which is at like 0.5. They're like basically at zero. It's, there's no trend line. It's binary. When, and, when, you, when you take a global population and yeah. you, you compare how many people are actually using Excel versus how many people yes. are programming, I, uh, I believe that. Right. So... It's uh, just this strangely popular and resilient set of ideas and technologies, kind of like email. You know, we have these ancient technologies <laughs> among us, spreadsheets and email. And they don't, still, it's still not going you away. You can't kill them. Like, you know, everyone tries to make the better product uh, that replaces them, and they're just very resilient. So there's some deep, some deep concepts at work there that are they're super potent. So Mark was wondering, how can software benefit from these concepts and uh and then some other forces were in play so we had all worked on at xamarin on helping companies build ios and android apps with our tools and we just saw how painful this was it's just very difficult to create mobile apps even if you have a high paid enterprise engineering team and then I had other experiences where I went to GitHub for a hackathon and like all these people did their projects and everyone's deploying these React apps on Zite or GitHub yep. pages, but no one is making mobile apps. And mobile is computer for most of the world. Like that's where all the eyeballs are. And it just seemed like a bad state of affairs. Like some, there are major connections missing here. So our realization was spreadsheets are the most popular programming model of all time and mobile is the most successful computer on earth and they're totally disconnected and have nothing to do with each other so there's got to be a lot of value in, in connecting them i i totally agree with you on like the idea of building an app and making it really simple for the like uh for most of the users i think that's uh that's uh that's what's so much needed yeah because like yeah I, I can I can speak for what it what it means to actually build a, a mobile application from scratch with the native code, right? Uh, so. And we're not just trying to make a simple tool for everyone. We're trying to fundamentally improve the whole software creation process by just subtracting the things that are rote or uninteresting or very brittle and hard to get right, mm -hmm. and just make it essential. 
How did you come up with the name? The name for the company. So um, I always try to pick androgynous brand names that are a little bit uh, atypical for a tech brand to sort of get more attention. I, I don't. I'm so tired of this typical tech names, especially the ones that come out of the developer world where they're called like confabulator or something like that. Everyone names their tool, the sort of like widgety sprockety mm -hmm. name, or they put dot AI on it. I wanted something um, that just seemed smooth and easy. Um, so glide occurred to me and like Excel. So Excel is this sort of aspirational verb. Glide is kind of like Excel in that sense. Like I kind of wanted that connotation a little bit. And then there was just, a geeky reason, which was the one of the original projects, the original prototypes I wanted to create for making apps easier to build was basically just to do Visual Studio Code in the browser, like a, a web-based IDE. I've been wanting to do it at Microsoft, and I thought maybe maybe we could do it a, as a startup. Um, so IDE and Glide is integrated development in, development environment is like a, a, an acronym developers now. So it's going to be like the smooth IDE. Got it, got it. Um, so it was just a code name. I think we named the repo that. And something about that brand kind of just helps Glide burrow deeper into people's minds when they hear about it. And when I would tell the story or present it to people, I would say the word and kind of stretch it out. I'd say Glide. And people would kind of like, you know, shuffle in their chair and put their hand on their chin and like listen a little bit more. Just because it's, I mean, it's just kind of sexy and unexpected. And, um, but yeah. Don't, don't people get, uh, sometimes confused, uh, because there is other companies that Definitely. utilize the same name. Yeah. And th the reason why I ask, uh, that question is that I was, uh, uh, preparing for uh, this podcast and I was, uh, looking at your LinkedIn and like you have the section where you have people also look, uh, uh, uh on, on, on these people and they were like, Uh, three other uh, CEOs of uh, Glide. Yes, and that, that's where I realized. Okay, are are uh, you getting uh, confused with other uh, companies that have uh, the same name, or it's just a coincidence? But it does not really bother you. It's a coincidence. It doesn't bother me. It's a very popular name. Um, we don't we don't see much confusion. Um, nobody comes to our website asking about the other Glides. The only confusion I see is when I wear my glide shirt in San Francisco there's an amazing church here uh, that's just a uh, an incredible force in the nonprofit mm -hmm. force in the nonprofit space that's such a weird phrase um, it's just a huge friend of the the homeless in San Francisco so gotcha. homeless people will see my glide shirt and they'll say oh glide church I love them and I, and I don't disabuse them i just say yeah it's glide's excellent you know um it's too much to explain but uh i hope we can collaborate with them and i've been wanting to do this project i'm i'm thinking about calling glide for good where i want to go glide to, and glide yes i want to go to all the nonprofits in san francisco and um help them build really useful apps for free um just to try to give back to the city what are some of the most used uh, apps created uh, with glide some of the most used apps. Well, um, we just had one surge up the charts today. We don't publicize any of those numbers, but we have internal dashboards that show us which apps are trending. And um, I haven't translated this one yet, but we just saw one, I think it was for a festival. So festivals, oh. 
are they can like skyrocket really quickly. So someone made one for a Japanese festival the other day, and like fifty fifteen thousand people accessed it. Um, something around that number, I think. We have our most popular app ever was created by a teacher who doesn't know how to code, and it's a private app for teachers, um, and with like lesson plans and other resources, totally free on Glide, and it has like eighty thousand. You know, fifty, fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand users in any given month. That's um, awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic. And um, we had an app created for the Hong Kong protests that went. Oof. Yeah, that was really. We haven't talked about it too much, uh, but I guess I'm spilling the beans now. But yeah, someone, some protesters created an app to help them coordinate and get eye washing equipment, gas masks, and people were like talking about where they could get a deal on face protection and um, and how to meet up. Um, so that was pretty incredible. So in other words, it's, it's all over the place, the kind of apps we see. Um, Glide is intended to be used for work. It's a productivity tool. So you can create apps you know, within your business to mm-hmm. uh, keep on track of your customers or create dashboards or communicate with your colleagues. Um, that's the, the business we want to create. But we have this, this free offering and people are, are just running with it and their imagination is the limit. I feel for small businesses especially, it's kind of prohibitive to even make an app yes. when it comes to like actual engineering, yeah. right? There is no way. Uh, small businesses, they just don't have an option to build their own app. Right. They have to either take an off-the-shelf solution, right, to white-label some things, uh, yeah. uh, or Glide is another option, right? This way they can, so, they can actually... Yeah, what build- we saw at Xamarin is... Companies that had practically unlimited funding for IT still failed to make apps. So if you can't make a successful app project and you have $5 million to spend on it, what hope does a small business have? Zero. Right. So we were like, okay, not only are enterprises having so much trouble building mobile apps, but small and medium businesses don't even try. It's just too prohibitive. So we felt like the demand was there. Like these companies know how valuable having internal mobile apps can be, but it's just too difficult and inaccessible. So yes, Glide Glide makes it easier for enterprises to create the kind of apps they need. And they're always very regular. That was the other insight. It's not like if you're one of these huge corporations, one day you're making an iPad game and the next day you're making an AR app. You know, it's lists of data with searching and details. There's, there's lots of um, consistency and they're very data-oriented. So we thought, okay, if we can, you know, do the data part first and make the app sort of generate from the data, maybe this will be a compelling product. And people have just run with it. As soon as we had even the simplest prototype, they're like, yeah, I just dropped my list of inventory in here and now I've got it on my home screen. This is very valuable to me. Um, we didn't foresee that. How do how do people find out about Glide uh, for the most part? Right what's, now it's just your... word of mouth and Twitter. That's it. Seriously? Yeah. That's that's all the marketing that you do? That's all. Yeah. We've run a few, you know, ads for very small amounts of money just to test some some small theories. Uh-huh. Um, but it's just uh it's just word of mouth right now. And in terms of taking the company off the ground, it was you. Uh you are uh, your other co-founder that uh, joined you right after quitting Microsoft and then later on the Two other co-founders now? No, I, I mean I was the second co-founder. To oh, you were the second. Yes. Okay. Um, so I was dilly-dallying a little bit. Mark was full speed ahead, 
Um, so it was Mark and then I joined. Um, and then the other two co-founders and everyone just was in different places in their lives. Jason was just getting married and needed some time off. So, um, uh, but one at one month after the other, we all joined together. And, uh, then we sort of hunkered down and did some planning and made the initial prototype and applied to YC and did Y Combinator. How long ago was that? I think we started in earnest. We're coming up on our one year anniversary. So I think it was like November, December when we really assembled and got together. That's impressive. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we have great traction. The product is looking fantastic. And, um, yeah, it's less than a year from our, st I think we want to count our official start day when like all four co-founders were on board. And I think that was like, uh, December. So we want to celebrate the yeah, we one year a, anniversary. Yeah, we and a blog post. And uh, it's so funny. Um, we're about to have our first team offsite that's not going to be founders only. And about a year ago, last September, Mark and I went to Tahoe for three days because we'd just been one meeting once a week in my living room and it just wasn't enough time to like do some real thinking. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, we need to get serious about figuring out what kind of company we're creating here and what we're going to do. We didn't have, we didn't know we were going to do Glide yet. Um, we were like, okay, you know, we're very strong engineers. I have a design background. We could do a developer tool. That's what we're strong at. We had this asset called QuickType, which was our open source project we created, which has 50,000 developers a month using it. So it was a, that was a considerable property. Like maybe we can turn this into a business. That was our early theory was centered around QuickType. I said, all right, I've got Airbnb three nights. We're going to Tahoe. We're just going to brainstorm about what we're doing. And I remember pulling into this little Airbnb and I said, Mark, maybe someday, like next year, we'll come back here and there'll be more of us. And we're going to Tahoe in three weeks and there's going to be eight. So, so the, the team is eight people company. now? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, six full time, two contractors, still very small team. And uh, I'm excited to, you know, take that picture. We have the picture of the four co-founders. Now we're going to have a picture of a little slightly larger group. What do you, what do you feel the group is going to look like next end of next year? End of next year. Well, our current plan um, only depends on a, a team about the size of what we have. Um, but, and, and that should last us at least one more year. Um, it, it just depends. I mean, if we keep growing at the rate we're growing in terms of use of Glide, we'll have to adjust that quite a bit. And I expect we will. Um, so, but we, we hope to keep the team basically as small as possible. That's uh, an interesting plan. Yeah. Right, some of the companies they they go just after increasing the the headcount. Uh, yeah, uh, it it's it's amazing to have the perspective that you wanna stay as lean as possible. Not just as lean, but um, I mean the the creativity is higher, and the bandwidth of communication is higher, and the collaboration is better when you're just small people together in a room. And it's not popular to even say this right now because there's such a trend around remote work. It's people are like, you know, get more people and get them as far flung as possible. And then, you know, jack up your Zoom bill and get in Slack and you're going to succeed. There's definitely a lot of benefit to, mm -hmm. to remote work for sure. Um, but we're at a very sensitive early stage where we're making design decisions that are going to determine what our product is. So being together where everyone's intensely focused um, is really important to us. Um, so we're being just very careful. So the 
startup is uh, has been not around for even like not even for a year now. Yes. And you mentioned that uh, uh, you went through Y Combinator. That's right. Uh, and I know that there is a whole lot of people and startups that would love to get in. Yeah. Uh, and see Y Combinator as something that uh, could really help them. Uh, and it seems like you got in very early because if 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 you started in December, you were part of the uh, winter batch. Winter 2019. Yeah. So, so it we was hadn't, it we was hadn't launched. Actually, yeah, we hadn't launched yet. We launched during YC. Um, and by launch, I mean you know I talked to a reporter at TechCrunch and they wrote an article. That's what we called our launch. Yeah. Um, and some people, I assume, started using yes, the product. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we we basically applied to YC with we had the name, we had a working prototype with you know maybe ten people using it a day, mostly our friends whose arms we had to twist to get them to try it. And I had the same conversation again and again. I said, oh, I'm building this new thing. It's kind of fun. I'd love for you to try it. Oh, what does it do? Oh, you can build apps. Oh, I don't build apps. I know it's it's for you. It's designed to be simple. You know, I, I think you'll find a use for it. Why don't you give it a try? People are very skeptical, rightly so. Uh, building an app sounds like an extremely daunting thing that people wouldn't want to attempt lightly. Um, but anyway, yeah, we applied to YC and we just had this basic prototype that I, th I still thought was quite interesting. You could pick a Google sheet and it would render your data and you could do some customization. And uh, in the in the YC interview, we worked so hard to make sure our prototype was polished and working well for the interview because we wanted to show them. Because as soon, I think once you see it, it can click more readily than when you just hear someone talk about it. Of course. And uh, it's just so simple when you see it come together. They didn't even want to see a demo. They wouldn't let us. They show. didn't. No. What do you think convinced them uh, to? It was just have our you team. part of the. I don't think batch. they. I don't think they believed our idea. So no code was not even a trend a year ago. Like people weren't crazy. Like right now, there's this no code trend. Everyone's obsessed, um, and the valuations are sky high, and there's all these great, interesting names. And I think it's really fascinating. Um, that was not happening a year ago. So it was and purely purely the team that purely was behind the team. It? I thought I, I I bet they thought our idea was totally misguided. It, it might still be. I mean, we we haven't proven ourselves yet. Um, but they saw a team that had worked together for six years, four equal co-founders with so much history together and considerable strengths and seniority from a company like Microsoft, and having had been had a successful exit working on a, a similar company, you know, a company in the same mm -hmm. space enterprise e-mobile yeah. stuff when you say equal that means in terms of, in terms of the share That's in the right. company yes i think they love that right yeah because they love that uh everyone is uh That's what incentivized the, the same way yeah, i think statistically it was a it was just a good bet you know a solid team many co-founders a lot of investors have said to me you know was, we very rarely see that structure of four co-founders who have worked together before it's that's a very that's very promising because that's a high rate of success when we see that. Uh -huh. And that's my advice to young people. You know, if you're in college, you're like, I'm thinking about a company. I think I'm going to drop out and do it all by myself. I say, do not, don't do that. Go work for Google or Microsoft and find, find people and do projects with them where the stakes are lower. You're getting a steady paycheck. And then when you get some confidence and you have your team, go do a company with that team. I think that is just way better advice than trying to wing it on your own before you're ready. So now dropping out of college. But on the other hand, I say, if you have an idea and you can't sleep and you're sure about it, you just can't let anything stand in your way. Got it, got it. Yeah. So so uh, 
one aspect of uh, building a startup and I feel that uh, Y Combinator can help there a lot, but is fundraising, right? Yeah. And then an important one, uh, because I feel that uh, without uh, fundraising, you would not uh, make it uh, that far. Uh, how? And it seems like so far in the journey, everything was pretty straightforward, right? Mm -hmm. You uh, put the team together. Uh, YC, uh, they they liked the the structure of the team. Yeah. But uh, how difficult was it to to raise funding uh, for for the product to uh, really secure that you have a long enough runway to yeah. which which I assume you have right now. Yes. Uh, especially with yeah. the, with the team of eight, that you can keep on improving, and right. uh, and uh, you, you you basically have uh, uh, a peace of mind that you have enough time to yeah. uh, prove that uh, this is, this is actually yeah. a, a good product. Um, I mean, we had an atypical experience. We it was a little bit too easy for us to do our fundraising. We we were one of the sort of I think breakout like standout companies uh, in our batch just because this no code thing was heating up a little bit we just rode a wave that had like just started to swell i felt i felt um, what, do, what do you think started the the wave of, of the no code it? initiative what started the no code wave that is an excellent question i haven't even thought about like what lit the match that made this go crazy um I'm not sure. I think maybe it was just a critical mass of a lot of companies making moves at the same time with on the same trend. And a couple of investors started writing memos about it. They said, mm -hmm. you know, we see we see this consumerization of enterprise and the citizen developer trend emerging right now. And then a bunch of tools were sort of you, you see this still happening. People are kind of forcing different tools into this narrative that don't belong. Um, so Notion is a uh, it's a no-code tool that we use at Glide and we respect enormously and we, we're very inspired by. Um, but it's very different from a tool like Webflow, uh, mm -hmm. which we also <laughs> use and love. Um, uh, Webflow is fantastic. I recommend it to anyone for, for building your website. Um, and Notion is a sort of like a database slash wiki slash uh -huh. spreadsheet for organizing your company's knowledge, which is also incredible. But the output of either of those is, you know, one's a product, Webflow, you can make products with or websites. And the other is information, sort of structured I have, information. I have heard great things about Notion. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Just both of those are fantastic products. And... Um, so you you were the the only uh, company in the batch uh, that were that was focusing on the no code. No, I mean I think we had a couple highlights that made us so attractive to investors and made our fundraising go very smoothly. Four co-founders, Microsoft and Xamarin, previous exit on a mobile company, deep expertise in the area. I mean I could say without hesitation, you know, at the at the end of our demo day pitch, I said we are world experts in this mobile development problem an opportunity. And so, yeah, I think that that was just a very attractive proposition for investors to have a team that looks sort of stable, reliable, proven uh, in a market that's heating up right now with a compelling product that's already getting traction. Um, that's, that's a great bet. So uh, how, do, how does it work during the demo day? 
when uh, so you have you have a bunch of investors you, yeah. you present to them and then you have you basically have the follow-up talks with them individually so we had finished our fundraising before we even presented oh so um that's how competitive it's be- that's not totally unusual it's actually uh-huh. un- weirdly becoming the standard i don't know if that's a good or a bad thing but um long before you present investors are emailing you um, and I, I had been taking meetings and I, I had sort of finished all the fundraising before we even presented, which YC warns you against doing. They say, Hey, you know, we see this every year, people wrap up their fundraising and then they do demo day and they meet the ideal investor who's basically done their company before and has great connections for them. And then it's difficult for them to include that person. Uh-huh. And, uh, I mean, to some extent we felt that way, but, uh, yeah, yeah, we were just, very eager to move forward and to execute on our plan and continue building our product and not be too distracted by that uh, is ceremony. It, is it uh, public? What were the terms of no, the investment? No, we haven't really talked about that. And uh, not even who are the investors behind Glide? We've, I mean, we've mentioned them casually, but uh, we're not. We haven't really announced it yet. Got it. Are you gonna? Are you planning on doing a big announcement yeah. about that? Yeah, we're we're planning on. Well, I wouldn't. We're going to do some big announcements as our our product uh, matures, uh-huh. and uh, we have great customer stories to tell. Uh, but we're not going to structure our news around fundraising. We don't think that's interesting to our customers. I mean, they that will give them some guarantee to the you know uh, reliability of the business. Of course, for that, sure. Like um, uh, you have you have a long enough runway yeah, that just like, you will you will be around. And yes, if you are backed uh, by a legitimate. Uh, VC company, then yeah. it gives uh, some credibility, right? Definitely. But um, yeah, I mean, just like, you know, headcount is not super, we don't think that's super interesting to our customers, like how many people work at the company. Um, we've just been a little quiet about the fundraise mm-hmm. as well. Got, got it, got it. Um, how important do you feel artificial intelligence is uh, for your product going forward? Interesting question. Um, so if you mean machine learning and statistics, um, we, we do have a lot of knowledge on the team about that. And we are casually looking for opportunities to make our product stronger with those technologies. Um, the way, one of the reasons why Glide is user-friendly and compelling to people is that you give it a spreadsheet and it gives you an app as a starting point. And the way that works is some very rudimentary heuristics. Mm-hmm. Uh, we look at the data and we try to, is this a phone number? Is this an email ad- address? Is this a picture? Is this a person's name? Um, and just with those rudimentary heuristics, I think we get you 70% of the way there. And usually 70% is like enough. Yeah, and then you can go and apps. customize yeah. even more, right? So I think using sort of AI-assisted app design, I think we definitely have a lot of room to grow there. Um, it's not, it's not something we think about a lot. Um, yeah, but one example, one project I want to kick off, this is very small, but, um, we want to build a model of the icon choices people make in their apps and which icons tend to associate with which words. So when people build new apps, we can look at the words used in their app and try to suggest the the icon that they will pick. Right now, we just give you geometric shapes, mm-hmm. circle, triangle, square, 
et cetera. And a lot of people just leave those in and they don't understand that they can change them. But if we see your tab is called orders, you know, maybe we draw a little package or something like that. So those little touches I think can make the product uh, remarkable. I don't think they determine the success of the product, but they can make people feel like it anticipated their needs and they want to share it. Got it. And when it comes to machine learning and AI, uh, do you have some uh, uh, particular thought overall in terms of how technology is progressing and uh, how the uh, artificial intelligence is getting more yes. incorporated Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would say I'm pretty well educated on like the deeper philosophical questions about AI. Uh, I think if you're interested in this topic, read Superintelligence uh, by Nick Bostrom. Uh, that's sort of a survey of all of the you know, more complicated aspects of AI. Uh, I think it's a very urgent issue for society to deal with. Or on the other hand, you can like watch Black Mirror. <laughs> um, I think... There's, that's what i do yeah <laughs> you're gonna learn basically the same things which is this is a extraordinarily complicated issue um i think that creating a an artificial general intelligence is possible i hope to see it in my lifetime i i, I would say more likely than not i won't um but yeah i think it's i think it'll be the most important thing humans ever create um And it will be a person. Like I think we'll basically create a, a person that's more important than we are, possibly. So, um, yeah, definitely a rich area to think about. Um, it's 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 amazing how the artificial intelligence is like getting more and more involved. And I also hope that we'll be able to experience that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, hopefully also incorporate in our businesses. Yeah. Um, I would like to also ask you about uh, uh, the personal side of things, sure. right? Because like we have we have talked uh, <laughs> business for uh, quite a while, and uh, I wanted to I wanted to ask you what's uh, your favorite way how you challenge your comfort zone. Do you have a particular uh, habit uh, how you get yourself out of a comfort zone so it helps you to Uh, push and expand uh, yeah. new horizons and so on? What an interesting question. Um, so I would do this really often as an adolescent and I think it had a really um, it definitely shaped my personality today. When I was a kid I would always I I made myself blurt out what I was thinking. I would remember I had my parents were very reasonable people and they said things to me like David you can ask us anything or you can do whatever you'd like as long as you're honest with us. They made it very easy for me to talk to them. And I tried just doing this with basically every adult in my life as a kid. If I had a question or something wasn't right or a criticism, I would we've probably all experienced this like a thought occurs to you and you go through this process internally like do I say this? What's going to happen if I say this? I probably shouldn't say it. I'm nervous. Forget it. And you swallow it. Most people, I think, swallow it. I don't know why, but I just wanted to see what happened if I said things, said what I was thinking. I'm sorry I don't have any great examples right now, but I just started doing it. And there would always be like a few seconds of 
you know, people didn't expect someone to say that or it's uncomfortable, but almost every time it led to a breakthrough where people in the room like acknowledged something that wasn't being said. And then years later, you know, when I was getting my, my peer reviews at Microsoft, I, mm-hmm. I had people I expected respected enormously at the company pay me one of the greatest compliments of my life they say david we are trying to learn something from you you can be in a meeting where everyone in the room says one thing and if you disagree you'll just say i don't think that's right and that's a very special quality that we admire in you and i think this goes back all the way to all the way to this little practice I would do as a kid, where if you heard that inner voice, I'm not talking about mean things, you know, you're not thinking I understand. an offensive or terrible thing, but you're thinking something that it might be true, but it also might be oh, uncomfortable to share, just try to blurt it out. So I would always challenge myself in that way. And I think it, it happens quite often when you have, uh, especially meetings where there is a lot of people and you see that there is a common consensus It's hard to go against that, right? It's gar- it's it, if there is like five people and only one of them feels that this is not right, yeah. it should be done otherwise. Often that person is just gonna sit around and not act yeah. because there is already a consensus. Uh, so I definitely agree that uh, yeah. speaking up when uh, this is uh, uh, happening is uh, yeah. Uh, a brave, uh, a brave movement. I think a couple, a couple of things that you can think about to help yourself do that. If you find yourself in that situation, and we've all been in that situation, is just try to disconnect who the people are from their ideas. So what you're, you're not telling all of your colleagues that you think they're wrong necessarily. I mean, you might sort of imply that, but maybe look at it as sharing your different perspective that they might not have considered. And you can say, like, you know, I think of it this other way. Rather than I think you're all idiots, like let me tell you the truth. That's not that's not how you should think about it at all. You might be worried about their feelings. It's all I mean, you always have to be delicate and careful with your words. Um so I had some other way to think about this that can make it easier to share. I don't know. But you definitely it depends on where you work. Some people just don't have an environment where you can do stuff like that. You could have, you know, a psycho boss who would scream in your face and intimidate you and It's just not worth it. You know, they're not going to get the best out of you in that business. Do you have any interesting habits when it comes to productivity or physical or mental health? Um, well, honestly, this this is pretty basic, but every every day lately around 4 p.m., it, if my mind starts to wander at work, like I, I, you, I just start to feel distracted. If I can go exercise even for 20 minutes, I get like four more hours of intense clarity. I can come back. So um I uh, try to do some time on the elliptical when I when I start to get fuzzy-minded. Anything else? Anything else? Uh, well, I bike to work every day. I mean, I can't... Uh, the San Francisco life? I saw your helmet when yeah, you Yeah, I biked here. Um, I'm going to bike back afterwards. I would say definitely bike to work if you are able. Wear a helmet. Um, wear athletic clothing when you bike. So I, for years I biked, I would wear jeans and some days I'd be wearing a leather jacket. I even biked in cowboy boots one day to work. I would wear like my leather shoes that I wanted to wear during the day. And when I switched to wearing shorts and a t-shirt and then changing at the office, like I was twice as happy, but (laughs) I would say the impact biking has on my productivity is that it makes me so much happier throughout the day. And yeah. And like, When you're happier, work is more enjoyable to you. And especially if you're a manager, it's just going to create a better, more creative environment in your company. I mean, one thing I, I think a lot about 
my perspective on managing design teams has been about managing creativity. I don't think about managing the people. I'm like, what is the level of creativity that we are expressing? How do I get more? Are we being creative enough? Are, 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 our, <laughs> are our ideas too stale? Are we having trouble speaking? You know, that's, <laughs> that's another impediment to creativity. Um, but yeah, I think about this substance of creativity and how much of it is you know, flowing through our process. And biking to work and being happier and just breathing that outdoor fresh air in the morning definitely makes me more creative. Were there any really tough moments uh, while building Glide that you felt like uh, was difficult to overcome that? Or um, well, I had I definitely had like a crisis of confidence in the first mm -hmm. few days because I've never started a company before. I felt I was new territory. I had the same thing when I went to university for the first time. I was like in this new arena and I didn't have my bearings yet. I was very nervous in my first first few weeks of university. And then I sort of got a grip on things and I excelled. Um, I definitely felt that in the early days, uh, in the early days, I say, as you know, we're approaching our one year anniversary. <laughs> um, yeah, I felt, uh, I had felt anxious about, you know, in the early days of YC before we had applied. Um, it was a lot of new responsibility that I was taking on i didn't know how well i would do um and then i just you know as more things as we accomplished more we got into ic we put our product together we got amazing feedback from customers um i sort of came into my own and i i became more self-assured and i said you know i can do this and i think i can do a great job that's amazing yeah, yeah i guess when when you see that uh people are actually sharing positive things about yeah. the product that you have built right that's When you get proud, yeah, uh, you just can't get go uh, get too proud, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so yeah, going into that unknown, that that it made me quite nervous. But uh, I just tried to you know keep breathing, put one foot in front of the other. I had the support of my co-founders, that was fantastic. Um, the support of YC, and uh, you know, now we're taking the training wheels off, and it's starting to feel like this has actually got some well, momentum. It's great. Well, I wish you all the best. Thank you. Going, going forward. Is there something else that uh, you would like to mention before we wrap up? Um, something else I'd like to mention. Um, so who is listening to this? We'll see. We'll see. Okay. Well, I mean, some of the... People from tech community. Tech community. Okay. Business. Yeah. People that are uh, interesting uh, to start uh, their own businesses or are interested in tech yeah. general. Well, I mean, I definitely like just to recap what I said before. I mean, if you're a young entrepreneur, maybe you're still in school and you want to start a company, um, I don't hear a lot, you know, I don't see Paul Graham writing essays about this approach. It's not popular, but um, the sort of team-based approach to founding a company, uh, I really recommend that you consider it. And what I may, what I said before is, you know, maybe identify in school or in your first couple of jobs people that you just think are insanely talented and you would be so honored to work with them and test yourself, you know, work on projects with them within companies. And, uh, then maybe you can, you can start a company and you just can hit the ground running a lot faster with people that you have experience with. I think it's worth considering. Uh, I think the popular story these days is, you know, drop out, do it alone. Uh, it's pretty scary. So you would say, uh, unless, uh, you have, an idea that uh, because of that you can't sleep out don't drop out find your find your 
uh, future co-founders there. I would totally support that because in the end, uh, uh, I met my co-founders during studies as well. So uh, I definitely think that this is a great approach. Wonderful. All right. David, Thanks, thank Lebeau. you so much uh, for having you uh, on the podcast. And yeah, my pleasure. Uh, I, wish you, I wish you all the best Thanks with so Clyde much. going forward. Thank you. So I hope, guys, uh, that you have enjoyed chatting with David from Glide Apps. For me, it was really interesting learning from what it's like to get through Y Combinator and what it's like to be building a startup in Silicon Valley. Uh, definitely something that uh, inspired me, and I hope that uh, it did inspire you too. If you have any feedback, please do share it with us. Always appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll be working hard on coming up with more episodes. But until then, stay tuned. 